Well, coming to our subject there, if you want to turn to the book of Ephesians, we're going to finish uh, the last section, even though it's a different chapter, it's the same subject, and that is the submission, our duty of submission in the, the family of God, in the church of God. There's Everyone is submitting somewhere, and we want to receive those things of God and to uh, not just do our duty of the commandments, but of love. It's Submission really is out of a heart of love for God. Why don't we read in at uh, chapter 6. Of Ephesians. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Why don't we pray? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Prayed. Grant us grace to not just to understand, but to do those things which you've asked us to do. Grant us grace, Lord, uh, where these things do not directly apply, that we could apply the principles that are found therein, that we might be blessed, that others might be converted to Christ, and that your doctrine might be exalted. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're all at uh, different stages of life. We've all been little children. And we've all been middle-aged. And some of us are in the grandpa stage. And then, if I make it that long, I'll be to the old grandpa stage. Um, but we've all been children, and I still am a child of my mother and father. My father has passed away, actually many years ago now, but my mother is uh, still alive. And this uh, commandment to obey your parents has its limitations. It has a stage. Um, Children that are in the home are to do those things, they're to obey their parents. Uh, 
in the Lord, for it is right. And then you move on, you're out of the house, you get married, whatever, and uh, the commandment to honor your parents is still there, and we're going to to look at that. And then it gives in verse 4 the... um, the injunction to fathers not to provoke their children uh, to wrath. <clears throat> and then the second part is uh, is of servants, of which there is uh, the direct application of this passage was to slaves uh, in the Roman Empire, but um, we could reasonably um, apply it to most or all of us are employed of our own free will. But we're hired, we hire ourselves out, our labor or our brains, whichever you might be, um, to serve. And you would say that your boss is your master. It's not... uh, a direct application to what was there, but we could certainly make that application, and we will. <clears throat> so that's basically the two categories, children and uh, servants. And in both cases, there is to be obedience, and in both cases, there is to be submission. So it's, as we have seen, being filled with the Spirit in the Christian community involves all these things. And if we, uh, whatever position we find ourselves in, we want to obey these commandments. So let us look at uh, the first one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. <clears throat> Let us turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. It's the giving of the, the law, the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> In verse 12. <clears throat> Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Again, as it's mentioned, it's the first commandment with a promise, but it involves two things. Um, It involves obedience, and it involves honoring. Now, at first, you honor your parents by obeying them. And that is the first, you could say, expression of honor. <clears throat> Turn to First uh, Timothy, First Timothy, chapter one and verse five. First Timothy one in verse five. <clears throat> It says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience 
and of faith unfeigned. Now, the commandment there would be the whole of the law, but really this is the, the end goal for all the commandments of God, is that the, the ultimate motive, because you could get your children, you could obey your parents just because you know you have to, and you could obey your parents because you fear them, but the, the goal of all these commandments is that we would obey out of love and out of a pure heart because you love your parents and you want to please them. And that is, um, that is the goal of the commandments of God is that you would be a child that would obey your parents because you love them. And you want to please them. And that is whatever stage you are in life, whether you are still in the home and you obey your honor your parents that way, or whether you go out of the home and then you honor your parents by um, eventually supporting them in their old age. That's what it really means by honoring, and we're going to see that. Um, but until they need that, you, you love your parents, you speak well of them to your own children, and you foster a relationship with your parents in that. <clears throat> so then you'll notice that, uh, back to Ephesians, it says, <clears throat> Obey your parents in the Lord. <clears throat> and every parent, that's what it should be. Every Christian parent... You obey your parents in the Lord. If they commanded you to do something that wasn't um, righteous, of which that would not be a thing here, I'm sure, um, then, yeah, you wouldn't, as children, you would not be obligated to do something. If your child, if your parents said, I want you to steal something for me, that's unthinkable for us, but it, um, there is many parents that would do those things. <clears throat> So in that case, a child could say, I respectfully, Daddy, I won't do that, uh, whichever. Um, but I, that isn't a problem here. Um, but that's why it says, oh, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. Now, yep, your parents aren't perfect, but you are still to obey them in the Lord, for this is the, the, the right thing to do. Turn over a few pages to Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3. It's similar to what we talked about last week with uh, wives. Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. It's uh, pleasing unto God when children obey their parents, when there is order and love in the home. And that is the, the goal for every uh, Christian parent. <clears throat> and where this instruction is not followed, there is strife, and 
lack of love, and all kinds of evil things. And we see that in this world. Um, I have a limited uh, diet of news, very limited. Lasts about maybe five minutes uh, every day. But there's yeah, just terrible things that go on in the world with children and their parents. Uh, unbelievable selfishness on the place of the parent is passed down to the child. And uh, you're truly blessed if you have Christian parents that uh, love him and that want to direct you in the right uh, way. So it's pleasing to God. This is a way that you don't have to think that hard. If I obey my Father, then I'm pleasing God. And that is a good uh, thing to do. That you can please the God of the universe just by uh, obeying his uh, instructions. Verse 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. We read that from Exodus chapter 12. It's also repeated in Deuteronomy. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. In Deuteronomy, it says that you might be prolonged in the land. Now, the land was the first expression of God's promise. And he tells them, when you go into the land and you do all these things, your days will be lengthened. And honoring your father and mother is a commandment that still has a promise, even in the new covenant, long life, uh, length of days. You could say, uh, and you could think of lots of people that died young and they were servants of Christ. So this isn't an ironclad guarantee. But it was um, shown in the patriarchs, long life, um, length of days. And you could say a prosperous life. If you want to have a prosperous life, you honor your parents. You, um, You love them, and you say, I'll speak well of them. And... uh, I've got a list here of what it means to honor your father and mother. Now, Martin has put out extensive um, teaching about the child training and everything, so I don't have to deal with all of that, and I haven't. Um, He's done an excellent job of that, both by example and by instruction. And I've tried to fill in the gaps where, if there was any, so this is how to love your parents I've come up with eight things and they're um, yeah they're all positive obey them when you're in the home that's it means to submit to their authority be thankful for their position and their love Cover their faults. Cultivate their friendship. Defer to them in conflict and entreat them in love. Lift them up to your children. 
and support them in their old age. So you see the progression there. Um, When you're in the home, you do these things. When you're in middle age, you do these things. And then uh, support them in their old age. Let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now we live in a different culture, um, prosperous culture, where uh, the last, say, two generations since the Second World War have lived extremely prosperously, um, which is usually not a good situation, a very challenging situation, but it's still been the situation. The last couple generations have been so prosperous that people in their old age uh, have an exceeding amount of money to retire on. (laughs) They have enough to not only provide for their own needs, but have a big store. And we see that in the scripture as well, but it was probably much less people. Now there are, at least in our country probably millions of people that have money saved up. So they don't necessarily need their children's financial support. But the context of the scripture is that most people didn't have that situation. And when you couldn't work, that's it. You you were living hand to mouth. You didn't have uh, RRSPs and... Um, all kinds of rifts and everything that people have today to support your needs. And you would have to rely on your children to support you. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse 3, it says, and notice the wording, honor widows that are widows indeed. It says honor, but it really means Support, monetary support, looking after your parents that can't do that for themselves. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them first learn, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. If you spent 20 years of your life supporting your parents, it would not be it would still be acceptable to God and work in his kingdom. Now, most people don't have that situation, but um, if you did, you would uh, be serving God in that. Different cultures have, uh, yeah, this is common for um, other cultures. They have their parents living in the home. Uh, when we lived in uh, Oakville, there was a Sikh family down the road, and they had their parents living with them, actually, for many years. Many, many years. I know another brother whose mother has lived with them since they got married for many, many years. And that isn't necessarily good for everybody, but it was their situation, and they honored their mother in that way. But notice the honoring is done by 
supporting them. Turn to uh, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. This is a negative example, but we can see the point. Uh, the Lord confronts the Pharisees with their uh, religious hypocrisies. Mark chapter 7 and verse 6. <clears throat> and he answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor, honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as washing of pots and cups and many other such things, such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. And whosoever curses father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father and his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many... Such like things ye do. So what's happening here, the Pharisees had a tradition that you could say over all of your money, it's Corbin. And then you would not be obligated to honor your parents, support your parents. That's what it really meant. And he's saying there you set aside the commandment of God to honor your father and mother, supposedly to, to give to God all of your money. And the Lord Jesus reproves them and calls them hypocrites for doing so because the commandment of God was to support your parents. And they set aside the commandment of God uh, for the sake of their tradition. And then they would think that they had sacrificed it all to God when actually they were dishonoring God and breaking the fifth commandment by doing so. And that's why he reproves them for their... Uh, evil tradition, really. So we see the commandment of God. Then first, obey your parents in the home and do all those things and then honor them uh, if need be, if need be, in their old age. Now, it usually falls to one of the siblings. That's usually how it works. I've observed that in many different cases. It doesn't work for everyone. Some people have uh, a situation in their home where they can look after their mother or their father. Some people have big families, and they have many different options. Uh, In my case, it's just myself and my sister. That's it. And if need be, uh, I would be willing to look after my parents. But for whatever, every situation is different. But if you do get to have that honor, to honor your parents, then take it. And uh, I think the 
what I've have observed, the Mennonite culture is yeah, excelling in looking after their family and uh, have a, a great um, yeah, tradition of looking after their family members, uh, visiting their parents and things that are honoring to God. Keep doing those things. And um, it is pleasing to God. <clears throat> if you turn back to Ephesians, <clears throat> so it says there it's the first commandment with a promise. And that's a promise to the one that fulfills the commandment. There's a direct promise written into the commandment. And that's uh, that it may be well with thee. There's a promise of uh, prosperity. And I don't necessarily mean financial. Although under the old covenant, that was there. Uh, There was financial, material blessings um, connected to um, honoring your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that you may, it might be well with you in the land and that you might live a long life. A long life of serving God, that is, not for yourself. That's always uh, the case. So the other commandments had promises as well, but this one was specifically written into the commandment. So it involves personal profit. We'll just read the other in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. So we see uh, Nathan coming back to Nathan's point about conditions. Well, God has conditions in a positive way, Bill. If you do this, then I'll bless you. And that is in the commandments of God. Deuteronomy 5.16 Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and that it may be well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So prolonged in the land and prolonged on the earth and prosperous But for children, it's the same way. If you obey your parents, um, you avoid much harm that can come to you in their life. Uh, And there's natural things built into that. Obedient children often avoid harmful vices. Just think of the vices that people get into because they disobey their parents. Drinking and all kinds of yeah, drugs and everything that come to children that disobey their parents, their parents' uh, commandments. <clears throat> children that obey their parents usually develop, and I say usually, uh, life-promoting habits. You learn from your parents things that are profitable for life, uh, work ethic, um, Having good habits is usually comes from obeying your parents. 
and you enjoy divine favor because it's pleasing to God if you do that. And you never outgrow this commandment. If you are out of the house, it just takes a different form. And you honor your father and mother. And it's a... So that it be well with you. God wants to bless people. And people that um, don't honor their parents do not enjoy the blessing of God. And you can see where you're at in that, you know, you might be middle-aged. You might have your own children, small. And you can still honor your father and mother um, by, as uh, I said, speaking well of them and spending time with them. Notwithstanding, you have your own responsibilities, but uh, that is uh, pleasing unto God. And then in in verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, it it says, obey your parents in verse 1, and then it says, ye fathers, in verse 4. It just speaks to the father as the head of the household. And um, you could say just uh, mothers are included in this, but it says ye fathers because they're the head of the house, as we have observed. Now, I've... uh, again, put together um, six or seven things that would cause your children to be provoked to anger. And so, don't do these things. And if you don't do these things, then you will not provoke your children to anger. Being angry yourself would probably be the most provoking thing in your children being angry, is you being angry yourself, uh, especially in discipline. If you discipline in anger, then the child will not think that he's being punished or disciplined. He's just going to think, you're angry, and it's right for me to be angry too. You can see how that would follow. So do not be angry in Discipline. Do not be angry, period, but certainly not in discipline. Harsh and unreasonable demands. If you're unreasonable and harsh, you'll cause your children to be angry. Uh, lack of tenderness and fellowship. <clears throat> indulge them in self-will. If you want your children to be angry, indulge them in self-will. Because then when they don't get their way, they'll be angry. Um, And we see that in the world. Uh, I've seen it. Yeah. Extremes. In being in so many different houses uh, down through the years, I have seen some angry children. It's, yeah, you. I saw one child that he didn't get... She didn't get her way, and she went into the dining room credenza, I think it's called, and started to throw the silverware all over the dining room, just 
probably a five or six year old child in an absolute rage. Unthinkable, but that's what it's like when uh, you indulge them in self-will. It's not good for the child to be self-willed. You want them to have a strong will, but not self-will for their own ends. If you want your children to be angry, show favoritism of one child over another. That will do a good job in making them angry. Um, And personally indulge yourself. Look after number one if you want your children to be angry. So, and hypocrisy. Be a hypocrite. So if you do all those things, you'll make your children angry. But we are all about not doing those things. Um, Disciplining our children when they need it. Being loving. uh, Being tender. um, Not indulging their self-will. Being... Uh, not partial with any of our children, but loving them all the same, and not being a hypocrite in our personal life, uh, is how not to provoke your children to anger. But it says, uh, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture is to provide what they need physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And admonish them. Put them in mind of their duties and counsel them, and if necessary, warn them uh, of negative behavior. <clears throat> Again, it's all, um, it's all done. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Wow, the time just flies by. <laughs> anyway, um, only halfway done. <clears throat> Verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. <clears throat> Now, the context of this is that uh, there was slavery in the Roman Empire, and it was very, uh, very well known and very common in that day. I think uh, a low estimate, one in five persons were slaves. Uh, I've heard of an even higher estimate is uh, one out of three persons were slaves. So the amount of slaves in the Roman Empire was huge. And they were um, employed in public service and in, uh, in domestic service in the home. And it depended, the prosperity of the Roman Empire depended largely on free labor. If I could say free, uh, it costs somebody something. Um, and there was a range of treatment from very well-treated to horribly treated, and probably knowing the nature of man, the not very well treated was uh, common. It wasn't uh, universal, but it was common. 
And this one is very important. Christianity did not seek to overturn slavery by revolution, but by regeneration. Those are my words. Um, And this was a great evil. The oppression of people. Um, But Christianity didn't come in to and overturn the society. In fact, it as we shall see, exhorted slaves to be obedient to their masters, rather something that would be contrary to a worldly mind. Um, Slaves were bought and sold as animals with no regard for their value as being created in the image of God. And it is evident from several scriptures that God did not regard the owning of slaves as an unrighteous practice. I'll say that again, could be very controversial. It is evident from the scriptures, that is the New Testament, that God did not regard the owning of slaves as an unrighteous practice. That might be hard for many people to swallow. I think if I said that in public, I could probably be hanged. (laughs) Um, Because uh, the way people think about slavery and... um, And again, listen to what the scripture would say. Eventually, slavery was overturned. Because, yeah, most slavery was uh, abusive and uh, taking advantage of others in an unspeakable manner. But um, Christianity did not seek to overturn society in that way, but they as we shall see, sought to, when people were regenerated, the natural bent of their life was to do good to their slaves in such a way that eventually it would lead to the emancipation of that person, I believe, would be the ultimate um, expression of love. And we shall see uh, the balance of it in the scripture and the wisdom of God. <clears throat> because you could, see, you could see a worldly person, and there was many uh, or some revolutions in the slave uh, society of Rome where there was massive uh, revolt of the slave because of the abuses that were there of the slave population. I think one famous slave was Spartacus who led a revolution of a I think he had an army of 120,000 slaves following him and to revolt against Rome. And eventually it was put down. Um, but that was the general um, situation in the society then. But in, uh, in saying that, the first... Uh, word to slaves is servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ same thing for servants as it was for um, husbands and wives wives submitting to their husbands as unto Christ <clears throat> now in the a worldly mind this would be are you kidding me You have your rights. You want to rebel against any kind of oppression is the 
the wisdom of the day. And it isn't such in the kingdom of God. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is uh, revolutionary in our thinking, but I believe it's key to understanding these things. This is probably the most important verse in the discussion of uh, this subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou, being, art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be free, use it rather. <clears throat> for he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Uh, Revolutionary in our thinking. So contrary to what uh, many would think is that when you become free, then you rebel against against authority. I'm just going to grab my water. You rebel against authority, and that's a very common, we see it all over our land, the freedom convoy, and it's all about rebelling against the government and oppression and all of that stuff. We see it's a very common way of thinking. But God tells us here, if you were a slave and you were called, you, you, you believed in Christ Jesus, He says you're in that position. Are you called? That's called to God. Salvation, a believer, regenerated. You've been made free from sin. He says, are you called in that state? Care not for it. It doesn't really matter. You can serve God just as well And with the same reward as you can being a free man. And that is really revolutionary. Uh, No matter what position we have in life, we can glorify God. And that really is the only thing that matters. I was going to say the main thing, but it is the only thing that matters is that you glorify God. Whether you're a servant whether you're a king or whether you're the slave. All of those people can glorify God. Everybody in the middle and, if I could say, at the bottom. And in God's economy, he always writes things. There's never any injustice that's going to not be righted. Think of this incredible statement. There is a born of women not greater than John the Baptist. And then the Lord said, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The person at the very bottom is greater than he. 
This is the way God works. Uh, the lower you go, you can never get so low that God will not exalt you to the highest place. And you can never get so high that God will not bring you down to hell. That's just the way it works with God. And so when people are thinking about their position in life, and there's going to be injustices, that is a given. But God tells, we, tells us how to deal with them. Because I was talking, I forget who I was talking, Matthew said talking about renting out. And if you had a situation where someone was taking advantage of you, it would just, it would just gall you. You'd be so, I would be angry. That would be my natural inclination. But it's because we don't commit those things to God. God will right every injustice. And sometimes things that are happening, yeah, we just don't have the right perspective. But God will right every injustice. And if you serve God faithfully as a slave, God will exalt you and repay you any suffering that you would suffer in this life. He says, care not for it, but if thou mayest be free, use it rather. So if you gained your freedom, and that was the case in the Roman Empire, that uh, slaves could go through a uh, ceremony called manumission in which uh, the owners, out of their goodwill, would often free slaves, and they could be free men. But he says if you become a free man, you use it rather. And he writes everything, and he says if you are... Likewise, if you are called being free, that's a free man. You're Christ's servant or slave. You're never out of slavery. It's just who is your master. And even as a slave, you've been freed from the unbelievable bondage of sin to serve Christ. And that is the focus of your mind, is who are you serving The trouble is most people think of their lives as their own. And we have to actively cast that off. It's my life. Well, as a Christian, there is no such thing. We have to get that through our minds. Um, It's not my life anymore. You have been bought. That means is the language of slavery. You've been bought with a price. The price is the blood of Christ. And you're not to be the servants of men. You're not to be even your own servant, serving yourself. And that is why so many people would reject this whole notion of um, this instruction. You're called being a servant. Care not for it. Whatever a slave would do, faithfully serving his master, even if he was a harsh man, God would see that that would be repaid. And he would be serving Christ, even serving a harsh master. And, yeah, that would be, I would think, rejected by the world. But this is the instruction of God. He, God thinks his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts uh, than our thoughts. Think of the Lord Jesus submitting to a mock trial Submitting to being whipped and beaten and tortured 
he submitted to that for our sakes. And he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that is what God is asking uh, these people to do. Are you called being a servant? Care not for it. But if you can be free, use it rather. Don't use your freedom for yourself, but for the Lord. And he balances that. Are you called in the Lord being a servant? You're the Lord's free man. You're free from sin. And now you can serve Christ. Before you were just serving yourself, even though you were a slave. You were serving yourself, and you'd be steaming at the injustices, and you'd be doing all kinds of things to get back at your master. <clears throat> he would obey, but for the wrong reasons. Then a Christian servant could obey his master because he's serving Christ Jesus. He has a higher master than, uh, than the man he sees. <clears throat> Now notice it says, according to the flesh. Your master's according to the flesh. That's because the, the servant had a master that was not according to the flesh, that was the ruler of his spirit. So there was a limitation to obeying a master. If a Christian servant was asked to do something that would be contrary to the commandments of God, he could rightfully say, no, sir, I will not do that. That's why it says, masters according to the flesh. He wouldn't bow down uh, in an idol's temple. He would uh, respectfully say no. And uh, whatever um, difficulties would come his way because of that, he would take. And here's the attitude of the heart with fear and trembling. In singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So he obeys the, the master because he is obeying Christ. Fearing and trembling the man and because he would, by disobeying, would displease the commandment of God. And that is the, and it, this is revolutionary in our thinking that our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price, the language of slavery. And we don't have time to look at all of that in Romans chapter 6, but it is true. You've been bought out of the slave market of sin and restored to a new master. That's the Lord Jesus. (laughs) And we could all say hallelujah to that because slave to sin is a terrible, you have terrible masters. Terrible. I heard of one man killing a three-year-old child that interrupted him playing a video game. The rage, he just went into an absolute rage. Just think of the unbelievable, unspeakable selfishness and self-indulgence that people get themselves into. Now, we label it with all kinds of other nonsense, but it's yeah, unspeakable wickedness. <clears throat> Turn to Titus chapter 2. This is throughout the New Testament. We don't have time to look at them all, but um, in First Peter it talks about servants and in Titus chapter 2. Because this was uh, the situation in every church. There would have been servants and there would have been masters. That Christian masters. 
Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. <clears throat> It'd be common if, if you were rebelling against your master to, to back chat, to back talk, to say, nah, yeah, I don't, and then to talk back to them. <clears throat> Not purloining or stealing, but showing all good fidelity, that it may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. <clears throat> it was incumbent upon Christian servants, those in um, a position of servitude, to not do these things, not be um, difficult to get along with, and not stealing from their master. Slaves would steal from their master. Uh, many people do that in employment. They steal stuff from the office or from their place of work because they reason, well, I'm not getting paid enough anyway. Uh, so, and he's rich, so he, I can steal. These are common uh, responses to uh, unfair treatment, but they are, not, uh, they are not the response of a Christian, not stealing from your employer. <clears throat> Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. It was common uh, in this situation that servants would be rebellious and uh, thieves, not faithful with their uh, master's goods. <clears throat> so in singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. <clears throat> Again, secondly, you're to obey your masters not just when they're around, but when they're not, when they're gone and you're there by yourself. <clears throat> so again, not as pleasing men, but your servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. It's, uh, it's very common in workplaces that uh, I think... One of Dave's uh, children was mentioning this here. Everybody, the boss is not there, and it's like, uh, kick back and, and enjoy the sunshine, or you take it easy, and uh, you are stealing from your employer by not working when you are paid to, to do so. So you just do it when you're being watched, but not... Uh, Not because you're serving, if you're serving Christ, you're doing it no matter, because God is always watching. And you're not to be, uh, the motive is not to be outward, but it is to be inward. Verse 7, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Again, the, the, whole, the whole concept of serving Christ You're not serving the person. And it's so, uh, you will be diverted uh, if you get your focus on the person. Because the person is maybe, is uh, uh, in this case, they could be an abusive person. They could be unkind. They could be unreasonable. They could be unfriendly. And you could have all kinds of reasons why uh, you wouldn't uh, want to serve them faithfully. I think in First Peter, it mentions yeah, 
a difficult uh, master. First Peter chapter two and verse eighteen. <clears throat> it says, "Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward." Now we notice two things: there were good and gentle masters. Uh, people like to portray that all masters were wicked, evil, slave drivers, and they weren't. They were some that were good. And we could demonstrate that by other scriptures, but we don't have time. There were masters that loved their servants, and the servants loved them. And we see that even in the Old Covenant. Servants that loved their masters, when their masters went to free them, they said, please don't, I want to serve you forever. That is a situation that you could see in the scriptures. A completely different relationship than you would expect. But it was uh, the case. So here we see not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, the difficult, unreasonable, cranky master. Some people have that for bosses. And, you know, in our situation, we can get another job or do whatever. But when you're employed there, you want to be faithful. And if you bear up under mistreatment, then you'll be rewarded not by your boss, but by God himself. And I have been fortunate to have many, many, many good bosses. Some are particular, but they're, um, I've had a few difficult ones uh, to remind me that not all people are good and gentle. <clears throat> and I was glad to be done. One place was so difficult, I was actually in tears going to work. <laughs> if, uh, yeah, standing over me and saying, you're not doing a good enough job. Oh, you made a mistake. And I, was, I turned around and I said, listen, I cannot work like this anymore. I literally, like they were breathing down my neck. But when I look at that experience, it was good for me. It was good for me to have a difficult, difficult boss. <clears throat> and, uh, but no matter what place we find ourselves in, we are all to be servants of Christ. <clears throat> Verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord whether he be bond or free. <clears throat> so the slave, or in this case the servant, whatever good thing he did, and that was serving Christ, even though the, the master was unreasonable and difficult and hard to get along with and hard to please, he did it whether he was bond or free, and that is... Um, Whatever good thing, and the good thing here is, he doesn't do it with eye service. He does it from, with fear and trembling, and he does it from the heart unto Christ. And then you can be sure that you'll receive uh, from God a reward. <clears throat> Whether he be bond or free, if you died as a slave, 
and you served Christ in this way, you can be sure that God would reward you. Most people today would think if you're a slave, your life is wasted. And if you can't serve yourself, then your life is not worth living. That's not true. We see it right here. If you are in that situation, that's why Paul says, care not for it. What? Um, It seems like an unthinkable thing, but it's so limited to this life. And we cannot think that way. We have to think what is going to be best, not for this life, but for the life to come. And that's what God has given us, the instruction uh, for the life to come. In verse 9, lastly, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. It mentions... um, that a Christian master was to do the same things, to be conscientious of God, to be treating their servants well. Uh, certainly the, the minimal expectation for a Christian master would be to, he treats his servants well, he gives them a day off, rest. He would uh, um, requite his labor fairly, give him money. In that case, he wasn't obligated to but to give him money, to allow him the dignity of being treated with fairness and with love and with care. That's would be uh, a Christian master. And there was many that it says were good and gentle. And, um, but where that was not the case, and he tells him, he warns a Christian master to forbear Threatening. You weren't to threaten your servant, to be harsh and to be unreasonable. Why? Because you have a master in heaven. So the warning to masters, if you're in a position of authority, there is the warning against abusing others. And uh, because God will uh, requite those things. That's why it says there's no respect of persons with him. Everybody is in a position of submission when God is the master. Whether you're a master on earth, whether you're a king on earth, you're nothing to God. And we're all going to be judged by him. And so no matter what position we find ourselves in, um, we want to be faithful servants. We'll just finish by turning to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This will, um, to think for a servant, to think of these things would have lightened every yoke. um, Because the yoke he would be bearing is the yoke of Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were 
the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That is all of our positions. And it's wonderful that no matter whether you're a master or whether you're a servant, you are all the servants of righteousness. We need to think, um, think God's thoughts in these things. Not popular in the world, but the scripture has never, I should say never, in different places. Most of the time the scripture has been unpopular and uh, despised by the world. But we uh, are to adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. Nathan, since you're standing already, why don't you shout out and pray for us. Amen.